Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two films with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. On this episode, in the red corner, people wearing tweed, riding penny farthings and grown men with top knots. No, it's not Shoreditch the movie, it's 1985's Young Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Before a lifetime of adventure came the adventure of a lifetime. What's your name? Holmes. Sherlock Holmes. Steven Spielberg presents Young Sherlock Holmes, directed by Barry Levinson. While in the blue corner before The Last Jedi and Looper, Ryan Johnson made Bugsy Malone without the songs. It's 2005's Brick. You got a discipline issue with me? Write me up or suspend me. I see that you're trying to help her. And I don't know anybody who would do that for me. No, you are dangerous. There's not much chance of coming out clean. So what connects these two movies and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. Yes, hello, Clash Podders, and welcome to Clash of the Titles. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. And that silence, <laughs> silence, that silence is profound this week because for the first time in the history of Clash Pod, we are a man down. Chris Tilly is currently away. He's having a great time, I believe, in Austin, Texas at, what's it called? Fantastic Fest. Thank you. Yeah, Fantastic yeah. Fest. Yeah, sorry. Fantastic Try and make it sound less like rehab by knowing <laughs> where he actually is. Yeah. He's, uh, he's having a great time, but he isn't here. So this week's show is just myself and Vicky and uh, no Tilly trivia. So... The movies we're talking about this week, as I said, are Brick and Young Sherlock Holmes. You pick these movies, Vicky. Uh, tell me what the connection is, or do you want me to guess? I think I've got it. No, I'll just tell you. Great. I don't really enjoy that bit, actually, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, maybe it's time for like a 360 appraisal Why? of how we do things while Chris isn't here to glare at feel? Why do you feel it's okay to mention that when Chris isn't here? <laughs> Go on. Uh, the connection is the kids are always right. Team detectives. Yeah, it's quite straightforward. You know, it's just who is the better team detective? Yeah. Um, I'm going to address one thing very quickly before we get into this. If you want to email us, it's show at clashpod.com. And we had an email and also uh, a tweet, which is uh, on Twitter, at clashpod, saying, is it cool if you guys pick movies that are available for free? Uh, online somewhere and I think that's a great idea and I think it's something we're definitely going to look into in the future 
However, when we decided on this episode, <laughs> I'm presuming you, Vicky, did not know no. just how difficult it is to get hold of Brick. No, I'd, I've got a, a DVD from a charity shop from like 10 years ago. And so predictably, because it was one pound, it doesn't work. <laughs> but it's the first time I've tried to watch it. So I was like, oh, that's all right. I'll just check out my streaming services only to find it's currently unavailable in the UK. Yep. So I can only apologise. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. Like, I will just go super mainstream from now on. £26 it costs. No, you didn't. You didn't. <laughs> on Amazon, the only one I could get was £26. You're kidding. I mean, it's a double DVD set, but... Oh, no. Oh, no, that's so bad. There was a moment where I thought I might also have to buy a DVD player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but for anyone who's like, oh, watch oh, Brick. No. Before listening to this show, uh, we apologise in advance. It's very difficult to get hold of. but And also, because you paid £26 for something, Chris is going to be so pleased <laughs> yeah. because it sort of balances the scales a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It, it does. It does. Damn it, I miss that guy. <laughs> Stop saying that. No, <laughs> only in the way you I miss, miss him. him too. Yeah, we miss him. We miss him. I'll say we miss him. Fine. All right. And also, as a very special treat this week on ClashPod, we have the director of Brick, Ryan Johnson, telling us which he would pick out of young Sherlock Holmes and Brick as his favourite of the two. That's coming up as well. So we're going to do it chronologically, as always, which means we begin with, from 1985, Young Sherlock Holmes. This week, I was given Young Sherlock Holmes, in which we see Indiana Joe Sherlock Holmes discover the Temple of the Pyramid of Terror, and we learn how he got his famous whip and fedor, his pipe and deer stalker. It's a lot like Indiana Jones. Steven Spielberg presents Young Sherlock Holmes. There is a clever murderer on the loose, and I am going to find him. I might get caught, and that would mean trouble. You would let trouble ruin an opportunity for adventure. Before the legend began. So, Young Sherlock Holmes, this is a fantastic film. That's how I'm going to begin. I haven't seen this since I was probably about eight or nine yeah, years me old. Yeah, So, this is... One of those moments where it's kind of worrying because you're going back into nostalgia, which always comes with a risk because you might watch it and go, why did I love mm. this? But I watched this again and loved it again. Yeah, I loved it as well. It's um, Let's just set the scene. So it's an Amblin Entertainment uh, production, uh, which is kind of relevant because we were talking about Frank Marshall and Kathleen Kennedy on last week's show because obviously they did Congo. But they also worked with Steven Spielberg. They set up this production company, Amblin Entertainment. They were at this point, just before Young Shola comes on, a bit of a role. They'd had Gremlins, they'd had Goonies. After this, they'd go on to have the hit that was The Colour Purple. And sandwiched between those was this movie. The most tragic thing about this story, so let's start with the tragic, is this movie was a flop. It, it did was, not yeah, do well. yeah, that's true. That is a shame because it's got all the qualities that you would expect to go on and have a hit. It's a proper roller coaster ride. If you haven't seen it, you should, but also to describe it in the easiest way possible, I would say this is Indiana Jones mm -hmm. and the Temple of Doom, specifically, very much specifically. <laughs> we'll get onto that, <laughs> yeah. uh, crossed with. Harry Potter. It very much is Harry Potter as well, yeah. And written by Chris Columbus. Yeah, doing would, some Hogwarts practice. Yeah, who would then go on to obviously direct the first two Harry Potter movies. But the weird thing is, you watch this, and I think there is no way part of this did not seep into 
uh, pre-Harry Potter, J.K. Yeah. Rowling's mind. Because yeah. the similarities aren't just like, oh, it's kids at a boarding school. There are elements to this. The dynamic between Watson and Holmes is Ron and Harry. And he looks exactly like Harry Potter, to be fair. John Watson, he's brilliant. Like The actor is brilliant with his cute little glasses. Mm. Looks exactly like him. You'd hope he'd be brilliant. Do you know who that is? Alan Cox. Is it Brian Cox's it son? It is, yeah. yeah. The original on-screen Hannibal Lecter and obviously yeah. the Bourne movies and many, many more, including Troy. Um. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> Shall we just list everything Brian Cox has done? <laughs> Do you know, I don't know why, but every time I think of Brian Cox, I go, Troy. <laughs> but yeah, so Brian Cox's son, Alan Cox, plays Watson, who is the Ron Weasley character. Yeah. And then you've got uh, Holmes, who is very much the Harry character played by Nicholas Rowe. Mm. Uh, but, and I'm sure it pisses you off. <laughs> Tell me! It's the fact that they've taken the elements that are Hermione in Harry Potter and put them also into Sherlock Holmes in this and given Elizabeth... The Literally, mo- fuck all to do. <sighs> I know. I've got so much to say about Elizabeth. I can save it to the end or I can just... Let's start the reckoning. <laughs> no, let's let's get into the good and then you can yeah. tell me, because I agree. Let's go through the film and then uh, we can talk about certain bits as they come up. But uh, the one other movie that I would say this is very much like is 1971's The Abominable Dr. Fibes. It's a... Uh, See, this is where you're going to miss Chris, because look at my blank face. <laughs> what are you talking about? So it's a Vincent Price horror okay. where he takes revenge on a bunch of surgeons who killed his wife on the operating table, or so he believes. They didn't save her life. And he takes revenge on them doing horrible, murderous acts one by one, picking them off. And he uses the Ten Plagues of Egypt as his inspiration. for It's a really great 70s horror. Vincent Price is brilliant. It's dark as you like, as I remember when I watched it when I was far too young. But in this, to set the scene, we open... And you think, this is going to be a Christmas movie. Oh, I know. I couldn't stop thinking of Christmas. It was so distracting, but just made me love it more because I love Christmas, but I realise I love a Victorian Christmas. It's so good. It's weird, isn't it? Because people always go, oh, Die Hard is a Christmas movie, so that's my favourite Christmas movie. This never gets a look in, but this is... is a Christmas film, for sure. So it starts with the perfect advert for veganism, (laughs) where a man walks into a restaurant and is attacked by his pheasant meal. Yeah, his dinner uh, turns on him. Do you remember watching that when you... Yeah, I do. And I just thought it was incredible. And I, having watched it in the week, it still looks incredible. Like It mm. looks incredible for 1985 and it still looks brilliant now. And terrifying. Yeah, really terrifying. Like, it's not a cute... Is it a partridge? You see, this thing, it's we didn't pheasant. go to boarding school, oh, so we don't know. It's a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely a pheasant and... Um, I didn't get the guy's... Bobster is his name. I, I wrote down Mr. Mutton Chops. But <laughs> I wrote down Mr. Gouty Man. <laughs> isn't it brilliant? The casting in this is phenomenal because every old posh actor, yeah, yeah. they all look like they've got gout. Yeah, they do. Every single Maybe one. Maybe they did. So he gets attacked by his meal. and We find out the big plot in this is that these men are being picked off by an assassin mm. who fires a blow dart into them which is covered in poison and makes them hallucinate. They trip their nuts off. Right? Yeah. Horrible, horrible things, um, which is great. It's a great like little thing for the assassin to have. I would say that if you are an assassin, having a bracelet with a bell on it, <laughs> not a great accoutrement. And also relying on the people that are tripping to essentially commit suicide is not the most efficient way of mm. getting rid of someone. Yeah. 
Uh, the bit where the gouty man goes into his... So he's been tripping and he sees the chicken and the chicken tries to eat him. He's like, it's oh... fucking pheasant. It's a pheasant, whatever. <laughs> that, the bird, some game. Is that right? Game. Yeah. So he goes into his rooms to sort of take stock and he starts looking in the mirror and I was like, man, listen to me. Listen, if you have taken hallucinogens, you do not look in a mirror. That is mistake number one. You are never coming out of that room. <laughs> Trust, yes? And later on, do not light candles or shop for antiques. Those are the three rules. <laughs> if you're going to take acid, don't do any of those things. Yeah, and don't spend ages. If if you think, if you're on acid and you think your gargoyle coat hook has moved and looked at you, change rooms. Yeah. Don't approach it and go, did you just move? Sit down, put on Ibiza 98 chill out, <laughs> maybe try and make a cup of tea because that'll take you four hours and then it'll be done. Watch not another teen movie. <laughs> Something harmless yeah. and accessible. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he kills himself. And then that's the preamble. And then we're into the story proper where we meet Watson, who's moved to this new boarding school, and he makes friends with Holmes. And he connects with Holmes and the chemistry that Alan Cox and Nicholas Rowe have. What did you make of that? I loved Nicholas Rowe and I thought the, the two of them clicked together really well. Obviously, I felt more of a kinship with because I didn't feel the kinship with Elizabeth because she's basically a piece of freaking paper. <laughs> but um, with Watson, because he's the more... I mean, even though he's at a boarding school, he's supposed to be a bit more... Well, he's from the north. That's early on established. So you think, yes, brother, fine. <laughs> and I felt a little bit of distance from Nicholas Rowe once I found out that he was cast at Eton. Yes. And that I found that disappointing. Although I don't expect very, very good for the role. Yeah, sure. And when are you going to start acting, Nicholas? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, like, don't I, bloody have to. That's what I mean. Like, I don't think you're going to go and get a kid out of the Asda to do it, but mm. maybe we could share the wealth a tiny bit and yeah. maybe let's not do open castings at Eton because they've got <laughs> enough, is what I thought. Uh, I bet you did. I mean, there's, you know, I don't know that now's the time to do it, but there is that huge argument. Even now, you look at like uh, a lot of our, our biggest exports uh, uh, as actors, your Eddie Redmayne, your Tom Hiddlestons, your Benedict Cumberbatches, and they are all public school educated people yeah. and it is a thing where you know they're all fantastic actors and lovely people i'm sure but yeah. it's a struggle for someone who doesn't have the ability and the uh the means it's the, the means, means. Yeah, yeah sorry that was the word i was looking for the means um to be able to pursue that career which is why you know you don't have quite as many uh, working class actors yeah who, and um, you're not telling those stories and that is a huge shame obviously an actor that's not from back of the bins around the asda or whatever can still tell a story like that but if you want to bring nicholas Rowe brings an air of authenticity to this which is you you know you can't mistake it mm. and it's because he was cast at eton yeah and it's perfect for this obviously so we meet them and uh and they go to a chemistry lesson, and that's where we meet Elizabeth. This is why I'm talking about this chemistry lesson, because we meet Elizabeth for the first time because she knocks on the window. Does she? Oh, yeah, she does. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, she's just wandering the grounds like a ghost. So why is she there? Let's explain why Elizabeth is Elizabeth at a boys' is school. She's at a boys' school because, now, her parents were killed? Yes. Or her, her parents are dead, mm. and she's living with her uncle, who is one of the main characters in this that sort of drives the story forward, and he's, what's he called? Wax Blatter? Or something? Blatter. She's, <laughs> Blatter, which is a brilliant, brilliant, yeah. funny, pretend Englishy name. Um, so she is ensconced within these school grounds, seemingly receiving no schooling of her own, but then she's a girl, so does she need to know anything? <laughs> Probably not. Um, and she's there to sort of wave around and get off with Sherlock Holmes. Is that right? That's pretty much That's uh, it, yeah. Oh, and she's character. got a dog. She's got a dog. She does have a dog called Uncus. Yeah. And uh, Elizabeth is the love interest for Sherlock Holmes. Now, I would like to say more about her, but she doesn't have a single interior thought apart from someone tries to take her dog and she says, you can't do that. And that's about the most she ever does that's for herself, which is like all her thoughts are, don't take my dog. 
Now, I don't know whether it's her lack of education. <laughs> Which um, means she can't form <laughs> an independent thought. Maybe. What we do learn about her is she is a terrible judge of character because Holmes in her first meeting is in the library uh, where he walks up and finds her with the school villain? Yeah, Dudley. Dudley. Mm, who's Draco Malfoy or the other Malfoy? One of the Malfoys. No, the Draco Malfoy, yeah. yeah. He is the Draco Malfoy. He's even got the same hair. Exactly the same yeah. hair. Yeah, he looks like Draco Malfoy. He acts like Draco Malfoy towards yep. Harry Potter slash Sherlock Holmes. And you immediately, the minute you see him and he opens his mouth, his like, lips start flapping, you go, <laughs> this guy is a baddie. And yet she says to Sherlock, why are you so mean to Dudley? Mm. He's so sweet. Mm. You're like... Terrible judge of character. Literally the villain. Not sweet. <laughs> Nothing about this guy is sweet. He is not a sweet guy. No. But if Sherlock is posh and Watson is posh, Dudley is uber posh. Yeah, it, levels of posh that I am unaware of. <laughs> like the scale. I thought boarding school was where it ended. But it can't. He is the 0.1% of the 1%. Yeah, he is true. the very top. His flesh looks like foie gras. <laughs> <laughs> and you know he's a baddie because Holmes comes up and he's like, Holmes, Elizabeth was just admiring my timepiece. Yeah. Limited entertainment in the 1890s. <laughs> the fact that that's how you spend your afternoon admiring timepieces. That's what you want to call it. <laughs> Dudley is there for what I consider one of the most powerful lines in this movie. I don't think I picked up on it the first time round, but knowing what happens in the end and hearing the line this time, and it's where they're all sitting around the table at dinner time in boarding school, mm. and there's the other posh guy who's like somehow even more posh than Dudley, and they're talking about what jobs they want to do, and someone goes, I'd like to be an author. Mm -hmm. And that guy goes, authors don't make money. And then... That's very good. And someone else goes, um, I'd like to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. And he goes, doctors don't make money. Someone goes, I'd like to be a barrister. He goes, oh, barristers make money. <laughs> and then he goes, Dudley goes to Holmes. What do you want to be, Holmes? And Holmes says... I never want to be alone. I know, and that is nice. Isn't that and a good that's bit? That's really sweet. And there are ways of making that happen within a script that don't require you to empty the mind of a woman. Mm. And we'll get to that. So then we meet Professor Wraith, mm. played by Anthony Higgins. Mm. I've got an interesting fact about Anthony Higgins. Yeah, go on. Although he plays the villain in Young Sherlock Holmes, he would go on in the future to play Sherlock Holmes. In 1994, Baker Street. Yes, yes, set in San Francisco. Yes. All I wrote down was modern Sherlock Holmes, who gives a shit. <laughs> then you missed a trick here. I'm, I'm going to read the synopsis out. Yeah. This is a TV movie that was uh, the launch pad for a series that unfortunately never happened. It, oh. was, uh, it was an at-the-time uh, go at doing elementary. But the synopsis goes, Sherlock Holmes is awakened in modern times from suspended animation. Wow. <laughs> As a result of an earthquake. What? And then he has to do battle with the descendants of Moriarty. Uh, really? Mm, yeah. <laughs> that sounds excellent. Yeah. The Americans have a fascination with Victorian England. Yeah. And there was another movie called The Terror of London Bridge. Wow. That was released, which literally came back to me for the first time in a long time when I was watching this. <laughs> the Terror of London Bridge was set in Arizona because you know the story about London Bridge being bought by yeah. a property developer. Yeah, that's true. And shipped, yeah, shipped yeah. brick by brick to mm -hmm. Arizona, put over this lake so it would become a more attractive area for people to buy property. Well, that is the premise that this bridge is there. But one of the stones of London Bridge 
contains the spirit of Jack the Ripper. That is a fucking brilliant idea. Yeah, and um, a girl is walking along the bridge and she cuts herself and the blood lands on the stone Mm -hmm. and Jack the Ripper is reborn and starts killing people in Arizona. Brilliant. It stars... David Hasselhoff. Does it? <laughs> wow! It's. I remember being like, I don't know, seven and going, this is great. I'm pretty sure it won't be great. But... We'll find out because Chris is probably going to pick it as one of his choices because <laughs> it's so obscure. <laughs> yeah, Terror of London Bridge. There's one for you. Let's yes. get back onto the film. Yeah. So what you're waiting for is the game is afoot. So he figures out that certain people are being hit with poison darts and made to hallucinate and they are either falling under the wheels of a carriage or committing suicide in some horrendous way, including the love of his life, Elizabeth's uncle, Wax Flatter, Letter. Flatter. Flatter. You got it. Wax Flatter. Wax Flatter. As though someone went up to someone and went, oh, my, that's a lovely candle. nice, nice. (laughs) Flatter the wax. Flatter wax, yeah. Got it, Mm. got it. Anyway, so the game is afoot. He puts together that this isn't a coincidence, that there is a single person behind this and there must be a reason for it. So he appeals to the grown-ups in the form of Lestrade, who in a nice touch is not yet whichever of the police rankings is better. So... Sergeant Inspe- versus detective? No, because he becomes Inspector Lestrade. He's like he's the one on. The- yeah, Mister Lestrade. Let's say that he definitely has a police <laughs> title, but let's say Mister Lestrade. <laughs> yeah. He's not. Yeah, it's like where he's like it's Commissioner Gordon before Lieutenant Gordon. Maybe he's Lieutenant Commissioner. Lieutenant's not right. No, I think we should go back to what you said originally, Mister Lestrade. Mister Lestrade. In fact, fuck it. Let's call him Lestrade. Lestrade. No. Nope. Just call him Strahd. What's his first name? We don't know. Alan? Gary? <laughs> <laughs> the guy who plays Lestrade. He's brilliant. So good. Yeah. You Did you watch Game of Thrones? Yes. Okay, so he's... Um, Is he? Yeah, he's... Uh, t- t- oh, for God's sake. No, go on, say the name, because I'll know Ma- when Mace, you Ma- Mace Tyrell, part of the House Tyrell. Oh, no, I don't see. I've, I've read all the books and watched all the telly, and I don't know. He is, no, he's definitely a big deal in Game of Thrones. His name, the actor's name is Roger Ashton Griffiths, and it is Mace Tyrell. I got it right. It didn't help, but I got it right. No, I'm really sorry. Did you watch The Young Ones? Yes. Do you remember the episode of The Young Ones, Boring, where there are the demons, and one is called Futumsh? No. It's the one where you have to say a demon's name to right. summon it. Oh! I can sort of picture that. Right. Yeah. Because Rick is reading the gun. He goes, what's a fatumsh? Yeah. And it summons him. Okay. And he goes on a killing spree. Okay. The other demon oh, right. in that yeah, scene yeah. called Orgo yeah. is also played by Are the you, same actor. So you're doing that from memory. That's not in front of you. Yeah, no, I remember the Young Ones episode, yeah. Word for word. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. I liked the Young Ones. I think the one character we haven't introduced is... Uh, Professor Wraith, yes. his kind of sidekick in the school is the matron, let's call her. Yeah, she's the nurse. Mrs. Dribb. Yeah. <laughs> Not a great name. But a fun Victorian name, um, very, well, Dickensian. Yeah, and she's um, she seems really nice. She's played by um, an actress called Susan Fleetwood, the brother of Mick Fleetwood of Fleetwood Mac. Is that true? The sister, rather. Her brother is Mick Fleetwood really? of Fleetwood Mac. Really? Yeah. That's a really interesting fact. So Watson is the son of Brian Cox. Um Susan Fleetwood is the sister of Mick Fleetwood from Fleetwood Mac. Well, see, that's interesting. So sticking to its posh credentials, it's just pure nepotism. Mm. How you get a job. Sophie Ward, who played uh, Elizabeth, who I know you're a huge fan of, Mm -hmm. um, her sister is married to Michael McIntyre. Really? (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't decide how far I was going away from a movie podcast and going, hello, I'm the living embodiment of Heat magazine. (laughs) Yeah. So... 
The big, the big thing is Professor Wraith, Anthony Higgins, the Anglo-Egyptian professor, who you don't know is Anglo-Egyptian, emerges later. No. He is the head of the cult of Ramitep. Mm-hmm. And Ramitep uh, is this cult, it's a, I love the bit where they discover the pyramid. Yeah, I did. When they slide down the pyramid, I thought slide that Slide down the big yeah. wooden pyramid underground. And he is, um, he's in cahoots with Mrs. Dribb, who's actually his sister. And the one scene that I was telling someone I was watching, young Charlotte comes and they went, oh, there's a scene in that that really screwed me up. My friend Tim, when they pull her wig off and she's bald underneath and she just goes, Hah! Stupid boys. No, seriously. <laughs> I think it's a genuine thing. I'm. Mm-hmm. Are we already here? Yeah, we are. It's <laughs> no. not even that quick. We've been sat in here for ages. It's um, it's uh, I th- I think there is a genuinely like the witches. Roll doll the witches. Why yeah. make those women bald if there is not something inherent about the idea of wigs and like having no hair underneath? It's and... uh, there is that, but there is a lot of. I mean, I could bore the fucking life out of you, which mm-hmm. I will. Great. Let's go about um. Identity and femininity being tied in, to, no pun intended, to your hair. Mm. Um, and a woman without hair is a very threatening thing. Um, or because she's sort of, you know, she's refusing to conform. And a woman with long hair. like So back in the day, like pre, maybe pre-Victorian times, when you were a girl, you had your hair down. That, and that signified that you were a girl, that you were a virgin. And then when you were married, you wore your hair up oh. to show that you were married, a, a respectable woman. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so I'm just saying there's a long history right. across lots of cultures of of sort of uh, chaining women into their hair to be a signifier of availability or fertility. Like seven, her wig blew off when we <laughs> were outside. And Dude, this is a problem. Oh, we got feminism and this and this and then you'll say someone's wig blew off and then I'll piss myself laughing <laughs> and then that's no good for me. No, but <laughs> I honestly think in these contexts it's just a shock. It's if literally you right now what, like what took your hair off and you were wearing a wig. I, I, my reaction is not like, that's disgusting. I'll be like, yeah, okay. fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. It's just the shock yeah, of it. I understand. <laughs> But um, so, like you said, the Indiana Jones connection, when they're inside the... Connection is being nice. (laughs) It's kind of weird, because Steven Spielberg executive produced this movie. Mm. It's his production company. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom had come out the year before. So why literally recreate that scene? This was... It's so similar that there were points as a kid when I couldn't remember whether this scene was in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom or the Temple of Doom scene was in this because it's three people looking out of a little hole Mm. down onto, almost shot for shot, occultists meeting. Yeah, and the ceremony that they're enacting. So Mm. you've got a body in a cage and it's (laughs) going to be dipped in... So in Indiana Jones, it's dipped into a fire pit, isn't it? And then in this, it's sort of like boiling liquid is poured over this poor girl. But it's... Basically, exactly the same. Yeah, yeah. Even the even down to the chanting. So oh I've, yeah, I've got uh, I've got the chanting here. Let's uh, let's see. So this is Indiana Jones. Okay, that's Indiana Jones. Yeah, brilliant scene. I think we can all agree the most memorable scene from Indiana Jones of the Temple mm-hmm. of Doom. First three Indiana Jones movies. What order would you put them in in terms of greatness? One, three, two. Mm. See, it's hard. Or three, one, two. Yeah, yeah. Because for a long time, Temple of Doom as a kid was my favourite. Okay, but I would actually go three, one, two. Yeah, yeah. I think for some reason, Last Crusade, just that dynamic with Sean Connery. Oh, the dynamic. It's the ending. Yeah, the melty, melty man. Like you can't. Well, yeah, where the night goes. He chose poorly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I used that uh, 
reference, like when you meet someone really young and pretty in real life and you go, ugh, you make me feel like the Nazi at the end of The Last Crusade. He chose poorly because he ages really quickly. You've said Melty that. Man. Melty, melty Melt- Nazi. Melting Man is Raiders of the Lost Ark. No, is it? Yeah. No, he picks up the... the gobbler. And drinks from it. But he ju- yeah, but because it's, it's the fountain of youth... Like he doesn't melt, he just ages. So like he he just becomes really oh, old. Oh yeah, in about yeah, three yeah, seconds. yeah. That's true. So who melts? Melty the guy. All the all the Nazis melt at the end of Raiders, like yeah. when they open the Ark and they, all the spirits come out. So what? So oh, so the Last Crusade is the penitent man jumping across the yes, thing. That's yes. It. Yeah. 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 Someone said to me the other day, "Do you know the problem with Raiders of the Lost Ark?" I'm like, "What's that?" He's like, "If Indiana Jones wasn't in that movie, the same thing would still have happened." Because if the Nazis had just got the Ark and taken it there oh, yeah. and opened it, they would have all still just died. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a shame. Yeah, right? That's why Last Crusade's the best. <laughs> so, can you... I, I was like, no, no, shut up. Wait a minute. Yeah, wait, hang on. Fuck off. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's our scene from that. And then this is the scene, the similar ceremony scene from young Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> I like that chant. I like yeah, sort of just sort really of going, nice, yeah. Rama. T- I'd li- I wouldn't like to do the other bit. It sounds quite complicated, but just being sort of the baritone going, Rama Tap. Rama Tap. Rama Tap. Do you think that's how they auditioned people for the actual cults? Like, are you an alto or soprano? Like, where do you feel you fit in this mix? <laughs> how do you feel about a very tight top knot? <laughs> also, does that mean all the cult members? Because we know that Mrs. Dribb wears a wig. Yeah. But do they all wear wigs? Well, the the man in charge doesn't seem to, does he? Um, that's Professor... he's the man in charge. <laughs> yeah, that's right? true. Yeah, he gets to keep his hair because he mm. needs to be attractive. But he does wear a big helmet of the yeah. god Osiris as yeah. he's hosting. Do you host a ceremony? Do you host a sacrifice? You conduct. Conduct yeah. sacrifice, yeah. Hey, how you doing, guys? Trust me. Welcome to uh, today's sacrifice. <laughs> Love to see you. Hey. Uh... Just a little bit of housekeeping before we start. The fire exits are behind you. <laughs> we are not scheduled for a fire alarm today, so if you do hear the alarm, take that seriously. <laughs> Don't stop to collect your belongings. <laughs> Clive, Clive, your top knot's a bit loose today. <laughs> Clive. No, great to see you. Great to see you. Thank you for the uh, pineapple on cocktail sticks. That's great. Very difficult to get a pineapple in Victorian England. Uh, Clive, everyone, little, little round of applause. Clive, Clive, Clive. Uh, new member, new member. But yeah, it's um, he has this helmet of Osiris on, big helmet. And when Holmes like like reveals himself after they kill the young girl, because let's not forget this is yeah. pretty dark. Yeah, it is. So they're sacrificing a young girl and the trio, uh, Hermione, <laughs> Harry and Ron. the other one, yep. Um, they don't quite stop it in time. So it's assumed that this girl has been immolated in boiling liquid and died. Yeah, totally. The problem I have, because it's a great scene and the sacrifice, and you realise there is things at stake here and people are dying, and Holmes appears and goes, she's still alive! Mm. She's still alive! And in his massive helmet, he sort of awkwardly shifts <laughs> to look at Holmes. And then the sound design is so bad because you sort of hear this really tinny voice from the helmet. He goes... Get him! <laughs> go on! Yeah. Get, go get him! Clive! Clive! Put down the snacks! Damn! This is not a drill! So that was silly. <laughs> yeah. But then we do finally get to see what I think we've all been waiting for, which is that our heroes 
all get a dart in the neck and they yeah. hallucinate. Yeah, and I thought the hallucinations were brilliant. Mm. John Watson. Mm. Just Watson. I don't know why I keep using his first name. Listen, do you know what? You're all right. That's the mistake Holmes makes at the I start. Know. And he's so. genius, right. so <laughs> I'm fine. Um, Watson, because Watson gets fat shamed instantly in this film, which does date <laughs> it a little bit. Yeah. Um, so Sherlock oh. Holmes is like, oh, hi, you're my new sidekick. Um, you clearly like custard tarts because you're a little fat pig or whatever. Which <laughs> is not very nice. Yeah. But because it's the 80s, he's like, well, I do like a custard tart and whatever. Well, I shouldn't I eat custard out of the tin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So his hallucination to really ramp home this messaging is tiny little cream cakes with eyes and mm. like a French horn and just patisserie coming to life, which he tries to eat. Yeah. And then they turn on him. But then they turn on him a little bit. Like some people's hallucinations are dreadful and his are like bearable, I yeah. think. Well, well, this is the thing. That's my most memorable scene from it. But if I was Elizabeth and everyone was discussing their hallucinations afterwards yeah. and he was like, yeah, I had to eat a French fancy. And she's like, I was in my own grave yeah. being attacked by the undead. Yeah. And you, uh, remind me what happened to you? Yeah. And a clair climbed into my mouth, then forced itself down my throat. It's like, are you fucking diabetic? Because <laughs> that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem that bad. Yeah. That's the thing. She's, you know, a dark mind, obviously. And then we get some weird, unnecessary backstory about Holmes. And oh, like... my God. That... So have you read any Sherlock Holmes? So Sherlock Holmes' hallucination is he walks into a parlour where his mum, mother, is sitting crying. She's distraught. He's like, mother, mother, don't cry. And then his dad appears and says, my private life is my own, son. Your mother never needed to know. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> and he's like, I'm so sorry, Father, I'm so sorry. And it's like, if that isn't a highly specialised private porn stash that he's uncovered, then... But what else is it? But is it in the book? Lots like... of lots of women with their hair down. <laughs> that would be in Victorian times. Those saucy bitches. But... They're sleeping Wait. without a sheet between them. <laughs> Wait, I think that's Hasidic Jews. Actually, I don't think that's Victorian people. I mean, who knows? We weren't there. Yeah. But see, this is the sort of thing Chris would know. Like, is that in Sherlock Holmes as a grown-up that he did something with his parents? Genuinely, Chris would be like, "Well, I did look that up, yeah. and um, actually, Tilly trivia. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, in the books, actually, his parents were uh, uncovered by him. <laughs> and, yeah, not the, Chris wouldn't say that. Actually, Chris would say that. And then when we went, that's weird. He doubled down on it and go, yeah. "No, I mean this." <laughs> Let's not let's not make up what he'd say. It's rude, but true. Now the big reveal. So the Egyptian cult and why this ties into these rich men, uh, aristocratic men being killed one by one is we when we meet Chester Chadwick and then he explains to them what it was. <laughs> and the big reveal yes. in young Sherlock Holmes as to why these men are being killed is property development. Yeah, gone wrong. Yeah. Which is like, really wrong, actually. Yeah, they wanted to build a hotel yeah. in and Egypt. Somehow they involved the British colonial army at the time, which seems heavy handed. Yeah, I mean, this is Channel 5 property developer from hell. They yeah. want to build a hotel in Egypt. They haven't destroy got the proper some permissions. Rooms. No, they, there's no permits being exchanged no. here. It's very good. It's, like you say, it's colonial England, and a lot of people end up dying. He does look even perplexed himself. He's like, we just wanted to build a hotel, but then villages were burned to the ground and thousands of people died. It's like, that did get out of hand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Things escalated fast. Yeah. I, I mean, we went into the village and went, look, we just sort of found some... Yeah, we're really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm covered in blood That's again. The army trigger just waited any excuse. This happened when I tried to open a B&B in Whitby <laughs> as well. Cannot Every, get it right. Just always covered in blood. <laughs> Why am I always in blood? 
But, yeah, so you kind of feel a little bit sorry for Wraith and Mrs Dribb. Yeah, and... Wraith and Mrs Dribb are the Anglo-Egyptian children of the, of one of the villages that was raised to the ground by these dicks. Mm. Um, they were in England at the time, and so they've never... Their parents were killed, their whole family, whole village was destroyed, and so they've grown up in England plotting a very, very, very long, cold revenge. Right. And that's great. That's, and that's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty much it. And then we get into the big finale, as you'd imagine. There's um, a big fight at the pyramid, stuff collapses. We realise that the yep. cultists are rubbish. Rubbish at building. And rubbish at fighting. Like, there's about, yeah. like, a hundred of them. Yeah, and it turns and like, into, three kids. <laughs> like, but they're, like, it's like a Three Stooges sketch. Like, two yeah. of them at one point jump to catch homes and jump into each other. <laughs> yeah. They're constantly dropping their swords <laughs> yeah. and falling over. Yeah. I mean, they're really bad. But in the end, Holmes and Watson do their thing. They survive and... They use geometry to save the day twice, which is a cute touch. Which is a great thing. I mean, yep. you know, I mean, an, an equilateral triangle is... It's like, that's the, I don't want geometry here. It's just triangles, isn't it? Yeah, or, and um, trapezoids. What's that? Trapezium. Trapeze artists. Trapeze artists. Yes, <laughs> that's yeah. what I yeah, thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the Soleil, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I was, I was, yeah, no, this is a, this is a right circus. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I'm covering for Chris now. <laughs> Oh, no. Rude. <laughs> that is rude. Oh, dear. I did notice that there was a lot of bad reviews, well, not bad reviews, but sort of middling reviews that talk about Sherlock Holmes and the, the final part of Act 3, picking up a sword and fighting uh, Professor Wraith, who then goes on to become Moriarty. So he's, he's fighting yep. his enemy. Yep. And he's not supposed to show emotion, and that's the thing. And the point is, that because he's young, he can show emotion, and mm. that's quite an unusual thing. Because Chris Columbus said that the whole point, of his sort of the way he walked into this writing this movie was the idea that he wanted to show why Holmes became cold and calculating, yeah. calculating later in life, and so in this he had to show him his emotional. Yeah. So what he's done is give him uh, a reason to get into a fight, which is that Wraith has. Shot Elizabeth. Shot his girl. Oh, yeah, shit. Shot his girlfriend. I know Elizabeth doesn't have much to oh do, but God, I can't forgotten. believe you forgot that bit. No, I didn't That's forget. like a big moment. I That's... forgot that she steps in front of the bullet as she well. She sacrifices herself oh, to save God. Holmes. Oh, I'm even more furious. <laughs> I've forgotten. I'm so angry. I'm so angry. Uh, why? Because, because. I'll tell you. Go on. I'll tell you for tell, why. Yeah, I'm sure you will. So... She gets nothing, 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 nothing to do. The uh -huh. one thing she does do, I've just remembered, <laughs> is sacrifice herself for her boyfriend. Kind of there's, a big moment. That's a, that's a big moment. There's, and there's nothing wrong with that because I understand that maybe she's got to die to give him this thing of, like, you're going to grow up to be cold and distance and uh, an enforced loneliness and all the rest of it. And that's absolutely fine. She can die. Well, no big deal. It's a shame, but fine. It's kind of a big deal, but... They don't treat it like a big deal. In the scene after, he's like, so where are you going to go to school now? He's like, I don't know, I'm just going to chill out for a bit. He leaves that school because he can't deal with the memories. That's why. Okay, fine. I will say this. Rather than try and help her, though, she gets shot. She gets shot and she's bleeding to death yeah, on the goes, jetty. Stay there with her. Watson said, could you not take her to a hospital? Right. Stay there and watch her die so that I can be more interesting in my later life. Um, what annoyed me about it is her, in her dying breath, she says to him, don't be sad. Don't be sad. I'll be waiting for you, which is a really, really sweet thing to say. Mm -hmm. But she, she's already sacrificed herself. She's using her final breath to make him feel better. So even that moment doesn't belong to her. So there's a right of the way to do it, which ticks both boxes, like makes him feel sad and is a sweet moment. But she, she at least expresses something that's about herself. And she could say, oh, I've, I, I had so many plans for us. Mm. Or I had so many dreams about our future. Or I something. Not... 
don't be sad. <laughs> I'll be waiting for you. So you can see, like, just give her one thing. Yeah, and you're going to hate me now because, like, I got very tearful oh, over that. Sake. I'm sorry. The thing is, you that is a kid's film, and so kids are going to watch it. And as a female viewer, that's who I'm supposed to get into the headspace of. And there's nothing there. And I find, and for a grown-up man to have written it, there has to be a reckoning, and it starts now. I, I, yeah, there's a couple of weird moments. Like we were saying, Act Three's a little bit weird. And I, I'll say this, and then I'll undo it. First of all, the fight that Holmes has with Moriarty. Ooh, mm. uh, spoiler. Spoiler. <laughs> uh, Wraith, the sword fight. You think is going to be this very gentlemanly, swashbuckling sword yeah. fight? That escalates quickly into a real fucking free-for-all. Like, admit, like, <laughs> yeah. start off as a sword fight, then someone's got a meat hook. <laughs> like, it's like going from with a meat hook. Yeah. Then there's, like, he picks up an oar from a rowing boat yeah. and starts battering Slats it with that. on the head with it. Someone throws a box at someone. <laughs> like, Wraith just hulks out and picks up a box and fucking have that! <laughs> and and oh. then uh, the end is uh, Wraith um, falling through the polystyrene, the ice, sorry, <laughs> the ice into the Thames and you... You have never seen someone overcome by hypothermia so, so quickly. So quickly. The Thames is so cold yeah. that you your heart stops yeah. instantly and you just do that. I love the, the claw, though, like <laughs> yeah. the claw of the water. That's brilliant. Yeah, because he literally falls in and goes, oh, my God, I'm dead. Yeah, there is no... I don't think there's any water anywhere in the world yeah. where you don't even get a couple of seconds. But, yeah, because um, it doesn't kill him, does it? Because he... So this is the thing. I never... Until I watched this... Three days ago, yeah. I had never stayed for the post-credit sequence. Yeah. So there's a post-credit sequence well, way before that post-credit sequence with a done thing. There was a real franchise setter here because yeah. after the credits, Wraith is back and he signs himself into a lodging. I'm guessing by the Reichenbach Falls. It feels yeah, like yeah, yeah. it feels like a sort of little teaser for that. Yeah. And he signs in as Moriarty. Yeah. And I was like, cool, so cool. Yeah. And at the same time. So upsetting because that sequel was never made. Yeah, but then you would have had the sequel. So, the, if or if it's the the conceit is young Sherlock Holmes, hmm. then isn't it a little bit unfair that his arch nemesis is a clear sort of twenty years older than him? Like, well, wouldn't it be better to have young Moriarty? Oh yeah, yeah. Just a thought, Chris Columbus, if you're listening. <laughs> That's what I would have done. Well, Chris Columbus could do no wrong at that point. Um, he obviously had written Gremlins and The Goonies uh, before this, so he was on a roll. A little bit about the rest of the cast. Uh, Anthony Higgins, he had previously worked with Steven Spielberg, another Indiana Jones connection. He played a role as a Nazi. He was in the uh, excavation scene in Egypt, weirdly enough, yeah. in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, OK. He played the... Uh, rather wonderfully named Major Gobbler. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right? Right. He's called... I, I looked it up before I heard his name mentioned and it's actually pronounced Major Gobbler. Gobbler, yeah. yeah. Like, but, like Goebbels. Yeah. yeah. But, Is it Goebbels? You, <laughs> you read it written down, you're like, <laughs> Major Gobbler. <laughs> Spielberg, you filthy bastard. <laughs> Um, so he's in that and he's in the big famous truck chase stunt and he ends oh, up okay. dying when the car he's going gets like knocked off a cliff. In, yeah. yeah, and he goes, oh. he's wearing the goggles. Oh, really? He's the goggles man. Brilliant. He's the goggles man in that. Um, I'm doing all my Tilly trivia now. Please do. Yeah. I've got nothing. Uh, the uh, My Tilly trivia... Sorry, Chris. Uh, it consists. Uh, he's probably like, this isn't even trivia. This is just knowledge. I'll tell you what trivia is. Are you going to cut this bit out? <laughs> is it? I would do it if he was here. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Chris. Uh, I'll do it. I'll do it. 
Tilly trivia time. He'll be uh, furious that the one impression you've done is of him. <laughs> no. So what? the night you must. Oh have... yeah, the the stained glass night. The stained glass mm. night. Probably of all the hallucinations, the scariest. Yeah, it's brilliant. And the first ever CGI character animated by Pixar. John Lasseter. Yeah. yeah. The movie was filmed at Oxford University, and uh, the fake snow that they used killed all the grass. So oh. Oxford University, not very happy, but then Spielberg just went, there's a million That's it. And then they looked in their bank account and went, we don't give a shit. <laughs> yeah. Kill all the grass you want, Stephen. <laughs> Fuck the grass. <laughs> so, um, Chris, I hope that was all right for Tilly Trivia. For the, that's... You're making it happen <laughs> in his absence. That's this week's Tilly Trivia. He needs a jingle. <laughs> it does. Oh, I'll make him one. That'll soften the blow for that bit. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, that is young Sherlock Holmes done. I loved it. It's time for Brick. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Wow! Nice! Yeah! What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I watched Brick, a convention-busting classroom Chinatown, blending gumshoe detective noir and the teenage tropes we all recognise from high school. Well, I say recognise. If you tried to do something similar with where I went to school, it would be more like the bill investigates the persistent theft of eyeliners from Superdrug. <laughs> when you upper crust a shady deed, they've got symbols so they can tell each other that we're getting around. Keep up with me now. You got a cigarette? I don't smoke. I've seen you smoke. I don't smoke cigarettes. I thought we had orange juice. I'm sorry. Water's fine, ma'am. Thanks. Oh, wait a minute. We have apple juice. It's country style. So go on. So uh, just to clear this up, Brick was what Chris was meant to be covering uh, this week, but obviously because Chris is not here, you were covering a movie that you picked, so I'm assuming you're all over this. I love this film so, so, so much. Mm -hmm. Um, I will tell you why. Um, the reason that I was in love with it is the ingenuity that it shows in its um, making the most of its budget mm -hmm. and the complete commitment to the concept by the director and the writer, Ryan Johnson, and by the cast is jaw-dropping. I think you need to agree. I so do. So the basic conceit is, it's, as you said, it's like Bugsy Malone goes to school. <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah, it's meant to be Sam Spade at school. But that's it, kind of it. Like yep. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. yeah. Plays Brendan, mm. who is an outsider who needs to infiltrate the upper crust of his school and the town's uh, most notorious drug dealer, drug gang, investigating the murder of his ex-girlfriend. Um, and along the way, he runs into like some very standard noir tropes, like murderous goons, um, dangerous women. And then because he's a teenager, he runs into his teacher and someone's mum, which I just think is 
brilliant because he's yeah. meant to be like 16 or 17 and everyone else uh is 16 or so i think like 16 or 17 apart from the pin the local drug dealer who quoting from the film is really old like 26 <laughs> i love that just bit. so good yeah and um, i think ryan johnson himself says when they were trying to get investment for this even people who got it realized that done even slightly wrong yeah this would come off the fucking rails yeah, in a second that's why it's so astonishing because be able, yeah. someone to crack a smile at mm. any point and the whole thing is fucked it's like i read that they rehearsed it to death mm. because they've got no money so you can't afford to lose a day on the shoot mm -hmm. so you've got to get these actors into the rhythm of noir um, like dashiell hammett patter which is really difficult anyway mm -hmm. and no one misses a beat like it is Flawless. So Ryan Johnson said that he wouldn't let the cast watch any of like the um, the old film noirs. He no Humphrey Bogart performances because he did not want them to be influenced by that. And the reason that he made this movie in the first place is because he said that the whole film noir the tropes had become so staid by this point. He wanted to make a movie mm. like that, but he thought, what's the way to do it? Is to put it into high school. The thing that amazes me most because you start watching this. And you go, they're not going to play it for laughs. A spoof would have been easy. Yeah, like, yeah. And yet there are scenes in this that are played for laughs. Like yeah. the whole idea of taking the hierarchy of the lunchroom at school yeah. and turning it into this big thing. Yeah. Like when he's shaking down some goons and he's like, who's she eating with? Yeah. Who's she eating with? <laughs> so and you're like, what the fuck is that question? And it's because <laughs> it's like, you by who she's eating with, he knows what group yeah. she's in with, where she is on the school hierarchy thing. It's a, just a genius move. Um, to signal, he's Ryan Johnson said that obviously we don't have much money, so we can't afford. I'm putting words in his mouth, and I don't know if he did say this. <laughs> Let's just imagine he did. Well, I I watched all his interviews, so you tell me, and I'll oh, tell okay. you if he said Fine. it or not. So yeah. did he say we didn't have the money to sort of use uh, to make the audience aware of the world we were in using our sets and production design because we didn't have the money. Mm. So the language from the opening scene is to telegraph to the audience that we're in a different world, we're in a different reality. He did say that, yeah. He oh, said um, he said brick is to high school what Gotham City is to New York City. Oh, my God, perfect. Yeah. Absolutely perfect. So let's talk about the budget. The budget, he wrote this in 1997, but it didn't start filming until 2003, and the problem was getting investment yeah. for this movie. No one could sort of see his vision. In the end, his family and the friends of his family and friends of theirs, and he worked out what the least amount they could make this for. So the budget was $450,000. Went on to make about just under $3.5 which is obviously great, but it was the fact that people just went, this is awesome. Yeah. This and that's is also very puzzling as to why you can't find it on a streaming service <laughs> and why you've got to get a charity shop £1 DVD. <laughs> where were you in the uh, where, at your school, in the school dinner hall? Oh, my God. Thing? I can't believe you've asked me that. I should have prepared. I mean... I just... I was Because it struck me. I was like, where, I was listening to them going, well, who was she eating with? And I'm like, yeah. where would I have been in all this? The, the structure for my... Right, basically, I got away with a lot at school, as in I didn't get the life beaten out of me every single day. <laughs> Because I was what? in a... <laughs> Why would you Because it was that type of school. Right, right, Fucking right, right, hell. right. My school was... It was such a fraught experience. Like, like our school, there was like... It was like fighting tournaments. Basically, I had one friend who was hard as nails. And if I'd not been friends with her, I wouldn't be sitting here now because I would be a wreck <laughs> because my confidence would just be like through the floor yeah. because I would have been very severely beaten every day of my life. Because I, I stood out, basically, because I... 
didn't I didn't listen to the right music, wear the right clothes, the rest of it. So you have to have quite a shell of like I don't give a fuck but, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's an argument as well that that if you are that person, the thick skin you build up during those years of like you know, because being a kid at school who carried a briefcase mm. out of two thousand kids, there's a price to pay. For that. <laughs> it's like, you know, hey, draw a target on my fucking forehead. Um, so, but at the same time, I think it's I think in a weird way it makes you stronger because you know we had people that were insane and murderous and wanted to fight <laughs> everyone all the fucking time. We had teachers that were completely checked out and then we had some kids that were just trying to hide and make it through and that was it. So this uh, hardball detective novel set at high school brick <laughs> involving drugs and murder and firearms. More of a documentary for you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Ryan Johnson said um, it's not autobiographical. It's like, I should fucking hope not. Like, I'm making out that I'd, I mean, it was fine, obviously. Um, he says he was influenced quite a lot by David Lynch uh, on this film, and I think you can really see it. Yeah. And in fact, the one scene, and there is only genuinely one scene in this movie that doesn't play for me, that I sort of was taken out of the moment, and I really felt like I was watching a kid pretending to be an adult. Yeah, yeah, go on. Is where the character of Laura is playing the piano and doing the spoken oh, word yeah, rendition is, yeah. of the Mikado. I don't like that at all. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah, it just feels a bit like... I do... Her character and the way she plays it, at the time... I mean, obviously, she's playing a femme fatale and, and the, you, yeah. you, she does it brilliantly. But there are certain aspects where she's, like, playing dress-up a little bit. Um, Brendan has some wonderful lines. Uh, obviously, the dialogue is inspired by Dashiell Hammett. We've shaken the tree. Let's see what falls on our heads. <laughs> it's so good. Such good lines. My favourite bit... See, this is the... I mean, this is an interesting question because, see, now I'm, you know, I can hear Chris in my ear going, oh, is it an interesting question? Oh, really? <laughs> well, oh, I've just fucking said that. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, just, just ask it. Yeah. Ask, ask it without free of judgment. <laughs> just throw it out there. So nice not to be interrupted. I feel really nice. Yeah, just really relaxed. Oh, yeah, so the, one of my absolute favourite bits is when Brendan walks into the vice president's office and that's meant to the be... The vice principal. Vice principal. And that's meant to be the police detective. Mm -hmm. And they're having a set two because the vice principal wants to use Brendan as an informant and what he wants is a bit of space to undertake his investigation. Yeah. So they're arguing about that. And then Brendan shouts at him. And what does he say? He shouts at me and says, write me up or suspend me and I'll see you at the parent conference. <laughs> that is amazing. When I was in the cinema, yeah. I was like on my feet, like, yes, that's so good. And that's the weird thing, that this movie is able to do that because at the start you think it's not going to acknowledge the fact yeah, that, that they're, they're children. That they're children. Yeah. You, I watched I started watching them where there there's gonna be no parents in this because that will just that will upset the dynamic that you've set here of these kids pretending to be adults for the yeah. movie and then you put an adult in, is it gonna work? And it does. I mean yeah. that guy, their vice principal, that's Richard Roundtree, that's so Shaft. Good. Yeah, and so good. He's great. And the other good line in that scene is I gave you Jared to see him eaten. Not to see you fed. Oh, so fucking good. What oh, great life. Fucking, fucking hell. <laughs> it's just incredible. I enjoyed it more this time round than I did um, 10 years ago. Mm. And I don't, I, I, I mean, the other fact is it's actually quite surprising because I'm obviously 10 years older now and more inclined to find teenagers extremely irritating. <laughs> Whereas back in 2005, yeah. I'd just been a teenager, kind of. Yeah. I was, um, I literally wrote down exactly the same thing. I was dubious because I was closer to their age when I watched this. Yeah, and, and now I, you're not. And now I was wondering whether my cynicism as I've got older is yeah. going to make me look at a lot of precocious kids. Oh, shut up. But it works. <laughs> With the casting, Ryan Johnson said that they, they literally had their, their pick of the bunch because the content, his script, yeah. what this was, there were no movies for actors that age being made. So yeah. they, they literally had uh, so many people who were like, we'd love... 
to do this movie because the only things on offer at that point were either slashers mm. or goofy teen comedies. And he says this in an interview and you sort of go, you've just listed the two big movies that Joseph Gordon-Levitt had done at that point, which was Halloween H20 and 10 Things I Hate About You. Oh, yeah. And then he did this. Oh, I like that film. 10 Things I Hate yeah. About You. Yeah, not Halloween H20. I mean, that's your sort of thing, but it's not my it's sort of It's terrible. Thing. Is no. it really? Oh, yeah, especially because that's the worst title for a Halloween movie because you don't see... It's 20 years after the original, but when you read H2O... You see water. Yeah. yeah. So you're like, oh, it's a, oh my a God, bomb. water. <laughs> Somebody did go to school. <laughs> oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah, I'd beat that out of you. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking geek. <laughs> That's what I mean. That's the school I went to. Right. Who knows the answer to this question? No one is going to say <laughs> a single fucking word. If you want to leave with your life, silence. <laughs> um, the best quote I found um, that Ryan Johnson has about this movie, because I do think you watch it and you look back at your own school life and yeah. you find similarities, you find connections, you sort of go, who would I be? Which character would I be? Brain, the brain carries a briefcase. Would I be him? No, because I'm not that clever. I had Joseph Gordon-Levitt's hair, but he's kind of cool and I wasn't. So <laughs> I sort of fall somewhere in between those two. But Ryan Johnson says, it's not meant to represent what being a teenager is like, but it does represent what being a teenager feels like. Yes, and that's exactly right. Oh, shit! What? what? I almost forgot. Um, you know, we're talking about Brick. Chris is, as we said, out at Fantastic Fest, and he is with Ryan Johnson, or he was yesterday, and started talking to him about Brick and wanted to find out what Ryan Johnson's vote would be. Oh, my God, I can't cope. I can't cope with this. It's time to vote on which movie does it better, Brick or young Sherlock Holmes. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! Chris Tilly might not be with us, but he is with director of Brick and Looper and The Brothers Bloom and Star Wars The Last Jedi. And, of course, his brand-new movie, Knives Out, is coming out very soon. Another whodunit. So, shall we have a listen to Ryan Johnson on this week's show? I'd like to welcome the writer-director of Knives Out, Ryan Johnson, to Clash of the Titles. Hello. <laughs> um, so this week they're debating the merits of Brick and Young Sherlock Holmes. What are your thoughts and memories of Young Sherlock? Young Sherlock Holmes, I remember being, and I haven't rewatched it in a long while, mm. but I have very deep memories of it from when I was a kid. And I remember it being scary as hell. Mm. I remember it being, like, a little too scary and disturbing probably for when I saw it. Um, but it did have, I mean, I, I get the connection with, with uh, the kind of similar thing with Brick. I mean, it had, I guess, young Sherlock Holmes. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's just a kid detective. Um, I just will interrupt at this point. That is Ryan Johnson going, oh, I get the connection. I know. That's your connection. I know. Ryan Johnson there going, yeah, I get it. I get that. Oh, my God. All right, here we go. So yeah, I've got I've got kind of like creepy and weren't there, there was like a cult in it? Was mm -hmm. it like Masons? Was it like Masonry or something? Or was some Illuminati kind yeah. of like, like some creepy thing and they did blow darts that made people freak out? I remember was, the, yeah. the the thing with the uh, stained glass coming to life. But yeah, man, I remember that movie being fucking creepy. And when was the last time you saw Brick? And what are your sort of? I saw on? we screened a thirty-five millimeter print of Brick up at Skywalker when we were mixing the Last Jedi. Um, yeah, it was fun. It was. It's really. I can't like watch. I have a hard time watching my movies that I've recently done, yeah. and they, I think Brick enough time had passed where it was actually really nice to watch it. And it's also like it's all my best friends. Like you know. 
Noah Segan and Joe and Nora, like I'm still friends with all these people. So in a way it's also kind of just like flipping back through a, a photo book of, oh my God, we were so young. <laughs> so the big question, what's the best teen detective movie, Brick or Young Sherlock oh, Holmes? What do you think he's going to say? What do you think he's going to say? He's gonna... Wh- which way is he going to go? Is he going to go for his own movie, Brick, or is he going to go for Young Sherlock Holmes? Are you asking me? Yeah, I mean, he's going to be such a nice, chill, cool guy that I think he's going to pick Young Sherlock Holmes. And what do you think Chris is going to pick? Because this has got Chris. Chris is about to tell us what he picks. Oh, that's as well. difficult because he doesn't want to piss him off in front of him. <laughs> so I think he's going to have to pick Brick. All right, let's find out if you're right. I'm not going to go head to head with Young Sherlock. I got to bow down to Young Sherlock Holmes, man. Are you kidding? That movie's a classic. Yeah. Well, for my, my two cents worth, it's definitely Brick. Uh, and um, everyone should go see Knives Out when it comes out. <laughs> I can't believe that just happened. Yeah, the, you're a fan, right? Oh my God. This is too much. It's too much. I think I'm going to cry. I swear to God. That is such a big deal for me. That is a really, really big deal. I've never actually seen you emote this much. It's disconcerting, but it's nice. Are you all right? Because I know you're not good with emotion. Is it okay? Is it too much? You don't have to hug me. Nothing is fine. I will be all right. Yeah. Yeah, I know you don't like this sort of thing. Oh, my God. A lot going on. Oh, it's just been such a a, a really, really, I feel really strongly about this one. I have done for years and years and I think he is a you know he deserves all the success he's had but I don't know like you know me watching that film in the cinema by myself weirdly because Mark wouldn't come said it looked boring <laughs> um, so by myself and then we cut to like isn't life a strange thing and like here we are and then Ryan Johnson is like yeah chill I get the connection brilliant <laughs> yeah. and like it's just too much I think he was really impressed with the connection oh I get it I, I think I oh, get no, it you're, stop yeah, he, oh, loved, stop. he loved your connection I'm just oh, saying stop. no one else has ever had a connection approved by the director of one of the films involved in that connection you have oh, and it was God, Ryan yeah. Johnson Oh, my God. Breathe it in. Breathe it in. (laughs) Um, I I should say the one other thing. uh, Chris wanted me to apologise on his behalf uh, because his voice is very Oh, my God, how hungover does he sound? Apparently, he was doing karaoke till about four in the morning the night before. Yeah, Uh, and shots. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what karaoke was doing, but if he's doing it again, he should really do Louis Armstrong. (laughs) Oh, we have all the time oh, in the world. He sounds absolutely wrecked. <laughs> he does, doesn't he? He can't get home soon enough. We, Chris, when you listen to this, come home. Yeah. Come home and stop doing Eddie Redmayne from Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> I have drunk too much. So, Ryan Johnson went for young Sherlock Holmes. Uh-huh. As you'd imagine he would. Chris's vote this week is for Brick. I'm going to do mine first and leave the deciding vote to you as it is your decision this week. These movies were yours. We could have a dead heat, though, for the first time because we've got four votes. I'm going to say this. I loved both these movies. And for me, it boils down to one thing. I love Brick, but I found myself not as emotionally invested in the moments that I thought I would be by the end, the big moment on the football pitch when you find out something horrible and huge about Joseph Gordon-Levitt's relationship with Emily and her death and what that means, I was expecting that to be a bit of a gut punch emotionally, and it isn't. And I guess that's part of what the film goes for, but I was surprised that I didn't care more, and I did for wrong or for right, get quite tearful at moments in young Sherlock Holmes, whether it's rose-tinted nostalgia or whatever. 
I'm going with Young Sherlock Holmes as my film this week, which means it's two votes for Young Sherlock Holmes, me and <coughs> Ryan Johnson, <laughs> and one vote for Brick from Chris Tilly. Victoria. It is. I mean, despite my clear love for Brick, um, we're talking about who is the best teen detective. And I would say that you can't really argue with Sherlock Holmes being a good detective. And the nostalgia I had for that film, it was like overwhelming as well. Like I remembered all the, the flying machine, it being Christmassy. Like it made me feel really, really good to be watching it again. And blah, 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 some other words. Obviously, it's Brick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was wondering how long you were going to... Sorry, yeah, I was just going to keep talking forever. Like, what the fuck? Because you two are always on about balance and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, try and make it a bit of guesswork. Yeah, and as if I'm going to go up against my new best friend, Ryan Johnson. If you need anyone to do a script polish, it's show at clashpod.com. So there we have it. It is a dead heat for the first time in the history of Clash Pod. Episode 10 ends with a draw between Brick and young Sherlock Holmes, as rightly it should, I guess, when you have the director and writer and editor of Brick, Ryan Johnson, <laughs> on the show. I beg of you, begin an investigation. Complicated. Everyone's got their thing. All right, then, on to next week. We are doing Christmas choices. He could have bloody left a voicemail or something telling us what the choices were. The man can barely speak. Right. <laughs> it's going to be a triple threat week. We are doing Batman the Movie. The Dark Knight and Joker. A triple threat week on Clash Pod. Batman the movie versus The Dark Knight versus Joker. We will be doing a spoiler-free account of Joker, so don't worry about going, I'm not going to listen to that show because I want to see Joker fresh. It will be a spoiler-free conversation, but those are the three movies if you want to gen up before next week. If you want to get in touch, as always, it is show at clashpod.com on email or hit us up on Twitter at clashpod. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you to our special guest, Ryan Johnson. We'll be back in a week. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.